But I do want to talk to you about what does it look like to be stuck. Because each one of us has been there. Each one of us knows what it feels like to be stuck, and it is one of the worst places in your life to be. Not knowing where you're going, if you're going anywhere, just feeling like you're surviving, just feeling like you're going through the motions, but not feeling like anything significant is happening within your life. Our overarching idea that we've been sharing for these last few weeks, I hope you have burned it into your brain by now, is that God meets you where you are, but He loves you too much to leave you there. One of our core values as a church has always been authenticity and that you can come to the church and you can be whoever you are. You can come as you are. You will be accepted as you are. It doesn't matter what you look like, sound like. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter uh, what kind of music you like or don't like. If you have tattoos or if you think tattoos are terrible, if you want to wear jeans and a t-shirt or if you want to wear a three-piece suit, you can come as you are. Those are all the things that really are the incidentals that don't matter about a group of people. Now, what we know about God is that God is always moving us somewhere. He's taking us somewhere, someplace. And and when he does that, uh, we recognize God still meets us exactly where we are. He doesn't expect us to get cleaned up. He doesn't expect our lives to be perfect. He doesn't expect us to have everything together. He meets us right where we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there because he has a plan for us and he has a place for us to go within our lives. God meets you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. But something is going to happen. If you begin to dream the dream that God has for you, if you begin to think about your future, if you begin to think about a preferred future that you want to be a part of, that you believe God is sharing with you and says, this is what I want to do in your life, and this is where I want to take you in your life, there's going to come a time in the pursuit of God's dream that a gap is going to arise. A gap is going to arise between where we think we should be and where we perceive that we are. And that's when we just feel stuck. So what I want to talk to you today is how do we get moving whenever we feel like we should be somewhere else, but we're not. We should be moving farther or faster, and we're not. And and I just feel like we're not going anywhere. Sometimes God calls us to wait, but that's not really what I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about today is not that God has said, wait, I'm preparing you. It's that I feel that we should be moving and we're not. Sometimes they're hard to determine between the two. As a pastor, sometimes I struggle with the two. There are areas of the church that I think we should really be moving in these areas, and they're not. And I'm just, is God, are you just doing something in us, or are we stuck? What I want to talk to you today is not about waiting for God to develop us. That's what we talked about last week. What I want to talk to you is how do we get moving when we're not. And you know what it feels like when you're exactly in this place. You live each day without progress. You feel like you have no options. You perceive that you're failing. And you feel that there are no opportunities availing themselves to you. I've felt that way. You've probably felt that way at work, maybe at home, maybe at school. I'm just not going anywhere, but I desperately want to go somewhere. Sometimes whenever we get stuck, we start fearing the future. And whenever we start fearing the future because we perceive that the future that awaits us is not a preferable one, that immediately begins the process of distancing us from God. Because we assume that God wants us to always be moving to a better future. And that is not the way God works. Usually when we're looking for a better future, what we're looking for is more of whatever we want. That's a preferred future. I want either more income or more playtime or more vacation time or I want more friends or I want more time away from work or some, I want more work. And when we begin to perceive that God is not providing for us what we want for moving forward in a preferred future. Then we begin to distance ourselves from Him. Whenever we start feeling like we're stuck, worship becomes forced. It becomes empty in which we will come and maybe we will sit and maybe even we will lead worship. 
And yet we're just going through the motions. We're not experiencing God. There's nothing happening within us. We can't see or feel or, or know that the Holy Spirit is just leaping within us as we pour our hearts out to Him in worship. Instead, we're just singing the songs and we're just waiting for the service to be over and it becomes empty. That is a prime place to realize you're stuck and that you are distancing from God. A lot of times we get stuck because we're distracted And we want to go after the things that God just says aren't that important for you. And I'll be honest, I've been a Christian for a long time, and there are times that God and I have words, and I say, God, this is what's important to me. And God says, well, that's not really my primary concern. And I don't like that. I want God to be concerned about the things that I'm concerned about. What God has called us to over and over again is, hey, don't try to get me to conform to what you want me to be. Instead, conform to the things that I know and tell you are important. There are times that we just get distracted. There are times that just being entertained is is more valuable to us than spending time with God. There are times that you know just focusing on taking care of myself is more important than focusing on what are the things that are important to God. And in those moments, God doesn't move us forward when our eyes take, come, come off of Him and focus on ourselves and we get stuck. A lot of times help from others is frustrating and useless because we just don't want to have, we don't want to hear what they have to say. Instead, we feel like we know what the solutions are. We're just frustrated that the solutions are not working. And I can tell you in all of these things, I have experienced them personally. In all of these things, I have been stuck just as you have been stuck. And while there's no magic solution for how we move forward, there is a way to view life and to understand life that you don't have to stay in that place. There is a way that God moves us out of this place. And as we do that, I want us to look at one story that we've shared before, but I want us to look at it again. Before we do that, I want you to know that heroes of the Bible were often stuck. When we look through those people that we talk about on Sundays, that we put on posters and we put in our children's curriculum, and you know that these are the heroes of the Bible, we find time and time again they felt stuck. We find people like Jonah, who was literally stuck in the belly of a well. I'm pretty sure none of you have experienced that, and if you have, you should be up here talking. <laughs> but he was stuck. Because God was pulling him somewhere, but he didn't want to go. He was literally stuck. We look at Noah, who was stuck in a boat. But those kinds of stucks are different than the kind that wear on us emotionally. One of the people that I think felt stuck the most, that I I draw a lot from, and we spent a lot of time on his life last year, is the life of David who was in a place where God had called him to something great, and through Samuel he had been anointed the next king, but for years, not only did he not experience it, he had to run for his life over and over again. He had to go live amongst his enemies just to be able to survive. And he waited over and over again. And if you are not a reader of the Psalms, read the Psalms. The Psalms are a book about being stuck crying out to God, saying, God, why am I here? I I know you won't forsake me. I know your ways are the best ways. Where do I go from here? I want to share another story with you. And this is a story about Joseph. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. You can follow along on version. If you've got your Bible, we'll be in Genesis 37, starting with verse 3. And as we start into his story, I just, we're just going to look at just the very first part. But Joseph had a dream that his family would bow down to him. Now, if you have a good relationship with your family, there's one way to change that. And that is to tell them, I'm better than you. <laughs> Some of you have that family member in your families. And they are a, they're a lot of fun to have over, aren't they? Maybe they don't say this quite like Joseph did, because Joseph literally said, guys, guess what? I had a dream. You all all are, you're all going to bow down to me. Isn't that exciting? Well, that was not, there was not a good response that he was going to have. Maybe you don't have someone who said that to you and your family, but you know the looks, right? 
You know the, you know the phrases. You know the story that somehow keeps being brought up that shows you at your worst. You know what it's like to have that person. But let's look at Joseph. As we look at this story, understand what he saw was true. Though it was not to be interpreted the way they interpret it, what he saw was true. God had showed him a future that he was going to be excited about, that he was looking forward to. Verse 3, it says, Israel, this was Joseph's father, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. So we know Joseph was hated because he was loved most by their father. And they hated him because he said, in addition to taking away the affection of their father, now he's saying they are going to have to bow down to him. Now if we go on into the story, we know that Joseph's brothers conspired to kill Joseph. But Judah along the way, one of his brothers said, no, we shouldn't kill him. Let's just sell him. We'll take the money and we'll tell dad that he's dead. We read about this in verse 18. It says, they saw him from afar and before he came near to them, this is Joseph, they conspired against him to kill him and they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, He rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe and the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh, and his brothers listen to him. Now, if you're Joseph, God has given you a dream, literally. It's a preferred dream for him, not so much for any of the rest of his family. Now it would be, had they known the bigger picture of the dream and which he had, that it was not about subjugation, it was about rescue. The dream was about their rescue. But for them, it was all about subjugation. But for Joseph, if you ever have found yourself in a place where God has given you a dream, given you a vision, given you a thought, given you an idea, and called you to it, and your heart races, it pounds, it gets excited about this thing that's going to happen. And then it doesn't happen. Well, that's what was happening with Joseph. Not only did Joseph not experience the fruition of this dream, at least not yet, but things were going in the opposite direction very, very quickly. So here he has the favored one who is going to have a preferred future. Now he's laying in a pit, and then he's sold into slavery, into Egypt, away from his family, never to be seen again. Now if we follow along in the story a little more, we're going to jump ahead, and Joseph is in prison at this point. And while he's in prison, there are two significant people that are in prison with him that have the power to do him well if they survive their own imprisonment. There's a cupbearer and a baker. Both are imprisoned, and the Pharaoh questions not only their loyalty but their service, and that is not a good thing when you're responsible for what they drink and what they eat. If you do anything wrong and you're the cupbearer or the baker, you're immediately killed because the king is not going to give you a chance to poison him. So if you're in prison, you're you're not in a good place. And as these three are in prison together, the cupbearer and the baker have a dream, 
and they're not sure how to interpret it. So Joseph makes a bargain with them and says, I will interpret your dream if you will remember me when this is all over. Now of these two, one, their dream basically said, Pharaoh's going to see that you're a good guy. He's going to release you and you're going to return to your standing and you're going to return to your job. The other guy... Not so much, you're going to be beheaded. You're going to die. So you can imagine that for Joseph, he's thinking, I've got, I've got some hopes here. I've got some possibility here. The cupbearer is going to go back to his job. The baker, well, he's not going to be able to help me, and I really don't want to have anything to do with him. I don't want to go in the same place that he's going. And this is what we read in Genesis 40 when we jump ahead. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And yet again, Joseph is not fulfilling the dream. Joseph is stuck i've been betrayed by my family i've been sold into slavery even the people that had a chance to do something for me i gave them great hope god showed through me that the cupbearer was going to live and they have forgotten me i'm not going anywhere now maybe that's not what it feels like for you to be stuck but somewhere inside of us we can relate We can relate that things aren't going the way we hoped. We can relate that our jobs haven't worked out the way we hoped. We can relate with the fact that maybe our marriages aren't exactly what we thought they would be. Maybe we can relate that we always dream that whatever point we are in life, life would be different, and it's not. And we just feel stuck, and we feel that we're somehow in a hole, we're in a cell, and maybe we're forgotten. As we look at these stories, it certainly is frustrating to know what's going on with Joseph's life unless we read the rest of his story. And the reason that being stuck is so detrimental to us is because you and I have a limited field of view. We can't see all the things God is doing and working in place. We can't see how God plans to use all of the pain and hardship that we've been in. We can't see God's hand weaving into our story what God is wanting in our lives because all we can see is what we see with our eyes and God works so much far beyond that that we can't even comprehend it most of the time. Joseph would have most certainly felt stuck. He could have blamed God. He could certainly be distant from God. Worship could certainly be empty for Joseph. But one of the things you have to recognize, if you're in a place of being stuck, one of the things you fear the most is that the opportunity that you thought you were going to have, you no longer have. The place you thought you were going to go, you're no longer going to go. The options you thought you were going to have, you no longer have those options. And whenever we have those thoughts, it is important that we come back to the place of recognizing that God is God and we are not, that God is capable of all things, but we are not, and that God is going to work all things towards our good because God has a plan. And whenever you begin to fall into the place of being stuck and to believe that your opportunities or your options are drying up, it is a place to remember this, that you are not responsible for the opportunities to fulfill God's dream. God is. But yet you and I are going to struggle with this because we want to be in control of the way this works out in our lives. We want to determine how it's going to work. We want to see that it's going to go well. We want to see every step along the way, and we want every step to be a step forward and never a step backwards. But it is God who is responsible for the opportunities to fulfill His dream. One of the worst places to be is to try to force God's dream when God's not at work. If you want to fail, that's the way you do it. 
Now, I can tell you this from experience because as a pastor, I have done this a lot. God, you have said this to us, and I am gonna, we're going to make this happen. God, I got this. And when God removes his power, even when he has given you his dream, it will not happen. It is a mistake for us to believe that God himself is not responsible for the opportunities, but we instead are. What we are responsible for, what you are responsible for, is obeying God's word and acting when God says to act. Now, this is a crucial part of growing up as a Christian. You cannot grow up as a Christian unless this is an important part of your life. You are responsible for obeying God's word and acting when God says to act. Not acting when you say to act. Not acting when you're ready to see something happen. Not act because, you know what, I'm tired of where I am now and I really am looking forward to this thing that's coming. No, it is to act when God tells you to act in the way that he tells you to act. We read about this in James chapter 1, which is one of the most practical ways in which to live your life day in and day out, but especially when you're stuck. James chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In other words, stop and listen. Don't drive forward when that is not what God has planned for you. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." Now, if you go through and you read the next few verses and sections of James, which is the way you read Scripture, we always read Scripture looking at the whole context, not just at a few verses that speak about something we're interested in. We've got to look at the whole context of what's happening. And if you read through this, you're going to see James talk about some things that relate exactly to what he has just said. The next thing you're going to see in James is he's going to say, don't show partiality in your doing." Don't have favorites. Don't say, you know, I really like this guy better than this guy. And I'm going to favor them in my doing. God doesn't ask us to choose who we act for. He says, act in the way I tell you to act. We follow that to the next part of James. We'll find that he begins to talk about faith without works is dead. In that if we are hearers but not doers, literally, James is saying, we literally have no faith. And this is where we often get into the war between James and Paul, where where Paul is saying, hey, it is all about faith, not about works. You are not saved by your works. And James says, you know what? You're right. However, if you have no works, I question that you truly have faith. Not that your works are what saves you, But your works often are the things that demonstrate your faith. So if there are no works, then there's probably no faith. If we go on and we read beyond that, the very next part of James' letter is where James says that you have to tame your tongue. Because our tongue is a powerful force. And the way that we act matters. And the way that we do things matters. So as we look at this, acting is one of the most crucial parts of living your life. But if as you're growing, one of the questions you're going to have is, well, what how do I act? What do I do? Tell me and I'll do it. And the church, we've tried to we've tried to do that in the past. And we'll say, well, you you ought to come to church and you ought to you ought to tithe and you know you ought to bring your Bible and you ought to invite somebody to church with you and you ought to get to the place where you know you, you share your faith with somebody else. And we come up with a list of actions because it's much easier to have a list than to say, God, show me what you want me to do and then let me follow you faithfully. 
That is so much more difficult than just coming to church and bringing my Bible and, you know, giving some money and inviting somebody else to church. It's, it's so much easier just to have that list. But God is not asking us to fulfill a list. That's when we fall into that list of works that we think that's going to save us. Instead, God is saying, just follow what I'm teaching you. And along the way, I will show you how to act. But when I show you, act. Act. Now, I share all this with you. I'm, I'm going to share. I've never shared 10 things before. I'm going to share 10 things with you. And we're going to go through these kind of quickly. But uh, here are 10 things I have found and others have found that work whenever I'm stuck. This is a process. This is not a checklist. I want you just to pick out the thing that jumps out at you, or if you want to come listen to this later, you can, and you can revisit some of these. You can also see all of these on Uversion. You can, if you're using Uversion, you can also email all these notes to yourself so you can have a permanent record. But I'll give you 10 suggestions for dealing with the fact that you feel stuck. Number one, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. I think as a Christian, one of the very worst things you can do is to pretend that you're more healthy than you are. To pretend that I've got it together, I, I, you know, I have deep-seated anger and questions for God, but I, I'm not supposed to ask them, so I'm just going to pretend that I don't. You have to be honest with yourself. It's one of our core values of being an authentic person. You cannot truly be a full, complete person unless you can be honest with yourself. As long as you're trying to pretend And there's lots of ways we try to pretend. At church, we try to pretend to be more spiritual. At school, we try to pretend smarter than we are, right? I mean, let's be honest, we do. As adults, we really try to appear smarter than we are because we somehow lose intelligence as we age, it feels. But you've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to be honest with what are my true priorities in life? What are the things that are really important to me? What are the things that, I, that really move and motivate me? Why do I go to church? Why do I serve? Why do I do anything that I do? You've got to be honest with yourself. This is not a one-time conversation with yourself. This is something, a way of life in which you begin to look into your heart and ask God to reveal to you what is really there. Because one thing I also know is true is that we can fool ourselves. But the Holy Spirit is there to help reveal that which we try to hide. Number one, be honest with yourself. What are my priorities? What are my distractions? Are there areas of disobedience in my life in which I'm stuck because I have cut off God from my life because I'm choosing to be disobedient? A second thing, after being honest with yourself, be honest with God. I have found this to be one of the most freeing, wonderful things in my life. Because I can go to God with anything that's on my mind. Now, not everything that's on my mind is good, and I often have to repent of the things that I share with God that are on my mind. But God has never said, Mark, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. You know what? Just go get straightened out and then come back. He's never said that to me. Be honest with God. Tell him what's going on within your heart. Tell him about the struggles that, you, that are going on within you. If you question God, guess who you need to take those questions to? Not the pastor. Because I don't have good answers. You take them to God. Be honest with him. Many times you will find that you'll get unstuck just by really doing these two things. Being honest with yourself and being honest with God trying to pretend to be something you're not, or trying to pretend that you're farther along in your relationship with God than you are, is never going to be helpful. A third thing. Remember that God is faithful to continue to work in your life. You are not going to come to the place where God says, I'm done with you. Now, you have people in your life that have done that, and you have done that to people. God does not work this way. He has never said, I'm done with you. He's always going to work until the end if you will let him. Now, we can fight that work. We can draw back. 
and we can make it all about us, but God is calling us somewhere and he is going to continue to work in us. Philippians 1, 6 says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is going to continue to work. He's going to continue to call. I love this passage that says, you know what? God, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and knocking. And nowhere does it said after three knocks he's done. And that's good. Because it, it took a lot more than three knocks in my life. God is going to work. Remember that He is faithful. There are times that your worship, when you're feeling stuck, just needs to be, God, I know you are faithful. And while our picture of worship is a great beat and great filler music and having uh, lyrics that just speak to our hearts and the the, the you know, hairs on our arm raise up because we are so in the moment. That's our picture of worship. There are times that worship looks like you on your knees, sweating profusely, tears rolling down your eyes, saying, God, I just know you are faithful. That is worship. We see that in David's life over and over again. That's why I mentioned him earlier, where he is just, even in the moments where he has screwed up the worst, and I dare say, most of you, if not probably all of you, but you know, I don't know everybody's complete story, but I bet most of you did not sleep with somebody and then kill their spouse so that you could marry them. If you did, I don't even know if I want you to come tell me that. You know, I want you to be open and honest and authentic, but there are some things I'm just not sure I want to know. But, so, but even in those moments, David got down on his knees. And just with tears down his face, God, I know you were faithful. As God ran from Saul and from the Philistines and from all those that are seeking his head, he would just continue to cry out, I know you are faithful. And there are times when we're stuck that we just have to remember that. And we just have to know that God is continuing to work. A fourth thing. Reflect on anything that you know that needs to be addressed. I think this is one of the things, one of the lies we tell ourselves the most. I don't have anything that needs to be addressed. I got it all together. We try so hard to act like we know everything. That nobody can touch us. We have to reflect on the things that we know needs to be addressed. Some of the some of the movies that we go watch and some of the TV shows that we watch, we invite into ourselves things that dishonor God. We need to be honest about that. You know, it's got a great storyline. Well, hell's a pretty great storyline too. and I'm pretty sure I don't want to go there. I'm not sure I need to take myself to these places either. Entertainment right now is one of the most addictive things that people deal with far above drugs or alcohol. The need to be entertained nonstop. Do you feel the itch to check that feed? Do you, as soon as you walk out of here, you got to check that feed? Oh, I posted a good thing this morning. I wonder how many likes I got. You know, entertainment is one of the most addictive things. The screens that are in our hands are the thing more than anything in your life at this moment that will draw you away from God, most likely. Because the screen needs constant attention. It needs your focus. And it needs your value to be wrapped up in what it says your value is. Not in what God says your value is. You know, I love entertainment. I love it. I love a good movie. I love even more a good series that I'm about five series behind and I can get into it and just binge for days. I love it. But there are times I have to repent from it because it's a distraction. It's something I need to address. If we can quote the last five seasons of a show, but we can't remember the last time we read our scripture, that needs to be addressed. It needs to be addressed. I don't know what your thing is that needs to be addressed. Sometimes the thing that needs to be addressed is a lack of forgiveness for others. Someone has wronged us and hurt us, and we are going to hold it against them until we die or they die, preferably first. Right? We're going to hold it against them. 
Maybe it's time that God has said, I want you to act. And we know He's clearly said, it's time to act. We're just not ready to act. We need to address that. God has said, it's time to go. Well, God, I kind of like where I'm at. There are times that we have to address what we already know is a problem. There's some unhealthy relationships that we need to look into. You know, as a church, one of our other core values is, is relational evangelism. That means you share your faith with people that don't know Christ that you already know and have relationships with. You know, one of the reasons that that's one of our core values is because most studies show us that the average person, once they come to know Christ and start attending church, have no significant friendships outside of their church friends within six months. And I don't think that's really necessarily an issue here. I think here one of the problems we have is friends with each, with each other because we've got so many other friends outside of here. You guys are kind of the opposite. I mean, you are connected all over the place. And, you know, we have to recognize what are the healthy and what are the unhealthy relationships. We don't just cut out the unhealthy relationships, but we also don't give them, you know, unfettered access into our lives. We don't listen. We don't give them the ability to speak into our lives the same way as someone who's healthy and is seeking God just as we are seeking God. We've got to address sometimes the unhealthy relationships, those people that we spend the most time with, those people that whenever you get together, there, there are some people you're just going to have to say, I can't, we, can't, we can't go out on Friday nights anymore because where we end up is not good. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm here for you. Come to my house. I'll go do stuff with you. I love you. I will be a part of your life. But this kind of stuff, this is not honor God. I cannot be a part of this anymore. Sometimes we have to deal with those unhealthy relationships. Sometimes those unhealthy relationships are not so easy to deal with because they're related to us or they're married to us. Or they're our kids, or our parents, or our brothers and sisters. And just creating separation while a short-term solution doesn't solve the long-term problems. And you have to reimagine engaging those relationships in a healthy way. And you have to put some work in to bring those relationships to a healthy place. And then, even then, sometimes that just doesn't work. Sometimes that doesn't work. Reflect on anything you know that needs to be addressed. One easy way to look at this are what are the bad habits within your life? What takes all your time? What takes all your money? What takes all your attention away from God? What are the bad habits in your life? Or, on the other side of that coin, what are the good habits that I should have in my life that I don't? How do we add those back in? One of the things, Leslie wrote a blog and sent it to me this week, and I was like, I'm going to use that this week. And so if you didn't read the blog this week, you need to go read it. It's really excellent. And it, it, a lot of, I, yeah, she said, I don't know, this may be kind of weird. I was like, well, it may be, but that's where I'm at in my life. And it talks about the fact that God at times just needs us to put some time and intentionality into our own faith and relationship and growth in Christ. Sometimes we have to put the time in. Sometimes that looks like bringing in healthy habits. Time in Scripture, time in prayer, time in iron sharpening iron where you get together with other believers and you talk about stuff that matters, not just the stuff that doesn't matter. There's a lot of stuff we spend a lot of time talking about that doesn't matter, politics being one of them, by the way. Gosh, I've never seen a Facebook post that says, you know what, I'm a diehard whatever, but your argument has turned me around. It doesn't happen. But I've seen many times where relationships are shattered. And we're arguing about stuff that's not even our kingdom. This isn't our kingdom anymore. This isn't our world. We live in it. We've got responsibilities in it until we die or until Jesus returns. But this isn't our kingdom anymore. A lot of us, let's be honest, a lot of Christians today are more passionate about their political party than they are about their Lord. We've got to be careful about what are the things that are distracting us. Reflect on the things you know need to be addressed. If you're not sure what those things are, here's a one-step process to make that happen. God, show me what needs to be addressed. I'm telling you, it will happen. It may not happen right away, but it usually happens right away. <laughs> it's usually how it happens. 
The Holy Spirit is within you. The Holy Spirit is like this. When you begin to pray the prayer, God, show me what needs to be addressed. It's like the Holy Spirit's going, come on, get the words out. Come on, get the words out. Come on, and here it comes. Here it comes. Yeah, here we go. You know, and then we decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to act? Am I going to be a hearer only? Fifth thing. This is, this is worth the price of admission for you to get in today. I know it was free, so there you go. But... And, and this is if you're stuck or not stuck. This is just the way to live your life, okay? Number five, focused on restful obedience. I didn't, I didn't term, uh, coin the term restful obedience, but I completely stole it because it's exactly, it's spot on. Here's what I mean by restful obedience. We often go to God with expectation of what God is supposed to do after going to him we have within our mind what needs to happen and we go to god and say god i need you to do something and and then if god does it then we worship and we praise and if god doesn't do it then we get mad at god or we walk away from god or we some of some of us will sometimes say well okay i guess i shouldn't have asked for that but that's usually not the way we respond and if you do respond that way sometimes i guarantee you don't respond that way every time restful obedience is when we just make the decision to obey with no strings attached. I'm just going to obey with no strings attached. God says, I want you to come and spend time with me. God, I'm going to spend time with you. If you change my circumstance, okay, but if you don't, I'm just going to obey. I'm just going to follow restful because god values obedience not obedience that has a reward in other words you know what i did this thing and it led five people to the lord so now god is pleased no god is pleased that you obeyed doesn't matter what the fruit of the obedience is it's just the obedience so restful obedience is a way of life it is not a step only when you're stuck, although if you're not, this, I can, if you're stuck, this is likely not a part of your life at the moment. Maybe it has been, and it will be again, but if you're truly stuck, maybe it's not. Because a lot of times being stuck is not a state of progress, being stuck is a frame of mind. The difference being a state of progress, that's the way we view it. I'm here, I'm supposed to be here, I don't think I'm going to be able to get here anymore. That's progress. This is a change of mind. Nothing's changed, I'm not there, I'm not worried about being here, this is the way I'm going to live my life. Restful obedience. Now, what are you obedient to? Obedient to what the pastor says? Well, no. (laughs) Although pastors have enjoyed that influence for many years pastor is a mouthpiece not a determiner of what is true only that who speaks what is true god is the only one to determine what is true and also to determine what should be obeyed pastors are mouthpieces so as god speaks to you how does he speak to you our three regular ways study pray obey As God shows you stuff, obey. Just obey. If you think, oh, but if I obey, then it's going to turn out badly for me. Maybe in the short term. But in the eternal, that is never true. If I have to go admit I did something wrong, I'm going to be punished. I remember when I became a Christian. The very weekend I became a Christian, it, was a, a, it changed my life. I had grown up in the church. I had been baptized already. I had, not become, I had not followed God faithfully. It was just this thing I was supposed to do because that's what you say you're supposed to do. My friends wanted to get saved, so I didn't want to be left out, so I got saved at an early, early age. And it was not until later that I truly had to be confronted with the fact of I am a sinner, I repent, I need Jesus to be my Savior. And once that happened, it was a major transformation for me. And so I remember that first weekend, 
I don't even remember what I did. And I'm not even, I'm not saying that like, you know, I really do remember, but I don't want you to know what it is. I really don't remember what it is. But I remember think, thinking, I need to go fess up to mom and dad. Now, you need to understand, that thought never in my entire life ever occurred to me before that moment. I never thought, I should go fess up. I never thought that. My, I had many thoughts of, I wonder if I can cover this up. I had many thoughts of, I wonder if, if I can get away, if they won't even know this. If nobody, you know, If they don't know, it won't hurt them. I've had many of those thoughts, but it was the first time ever in my life I thought, I need to honor God and I need to fess up. And I knew I was going to be punished. <laughs> Amazing thing happened. I didn't get punished. I think they were just in shock, um, <laughs> really. I think had they really had their wits about them, I would have been punished. But within me, the Holy Spirit was leaping for joy. I was a following in obedience to what he was telling me. Restful obedience. Even if there are short-term consequences, there are eternal rewards. And many times, the process of getting unstuck is just the process of restful obedience moving you forward until one day you realize God has brought you to another place. All right, I got to keep going. Six, worship, worship. It's very easy when things are not going well to be upset with God. Worship. No matter what, God is worthy. No matter what, God is worth it. No matter what. Number seven, open your mind and your heart to a new perspective. What if your interpretation of God's dream is a misinterpretation? What if you attached to the dream he was showing you your own personal ambitions and it somehow changed the dream? Sometimes we just have to open our heart and our minds to a new perspective, and the Holy Spirit is faithful. God is faithful to speak to you, to show you this. Number eight, this is where things really start, the rubber starts meeting the road. Re-examine your purpose. What is your purpose in life? Is your purpose to get everything out of life you can? All the praise, all the glory, all the money, all the fun, is that what it is to get out of life, to be entertained? I mean, what is it? What is my purpose in life? Many times, this doesn't, isn't the first thing you do, but this is a part of the process of getting unstuck. God, I think my purpose is, is the wrong purpose. My purpose is wrapped up in me. It's not wrapped up in you. Along with number eight comes number nine which is to re-examine your priorities. What is most important to you? Well, it's an old, you know, tried and true statement, but your, the th- your priorities are, are basically illustrated by where you spend your time, where you spend your money, and who you're willing to give to, to serve. Our, our time, our talents, and our treasure. That's where your priorities are. If you're not sure where your priorities are, just look. Where am I spending my time? Where am I spending my money? Where am I spending what God's given me? My skills, my talents, my abilities. How am I using that for His kingdom purposes versus my own king, personal kingdom's purpose? That's where your priorities are. You have to re-examine those. That does not always mean that being stuck means you have the wrong priorities. It does not always mean that you have the wrong purpose. But we do have to re-examine those and either be encouraged that we just, there's something else going on, or we have to re-examine and change those. And number 10, last one, just a practical one, uh, change your habits. Change your habits. If you're stuck, infuse something new. A rhythm feels good. Being in a rhythm feels good. But sometimes it's hard to tell when you transitioned from a rhythm to a rut right? Rhythm, good, comfortable. I'm moving along. I'm flowing. Everything's all right. Rut, not so good because you went out of the rut. It's not comfortable. It doesn't feel good. And you feel like it's directing you. You're not directing where you're going. Sometimes you need to change your habits. I've already talked about some habits that that could be changed. I want to close with Philippians 1.6. It says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ.
as you are continuing to seek your next and as you are continuing to follow him, you're going to get stuck at times. We as a church are going to feel and get stuck at times. You know, God is still working. God is still moving. God is still drawing us. We choose whether to stay stuck or to follow him more intentionally. So as you do that, I hope you'll be back next week. Next week is really our last last week of next, even though we'll be doing a few things um, at the 10th anniversary week, but uh, we're not really going to have a big sermon like this. Next week's the last week, and it's all going to be about full steam ahead. How do we do that? I'm going to be sharing with you in many ways kind of a state of the church. We're going to be unpacking a lot of the things. If you're new to Journey, this is going to be a great place for you to be because it's going to, we're going to just kind of peel back the curtain for everything that's going on here, not with a goal to direct, but for a goal for you to know because, again, we want God to speak to us. We're also going to have, the lobby's going to look different next week. Right, some, it's going to be a welcomed change. For others, change isn't so great. Our goal is to care for those who come in to our community that are looking for a place to belong and a place to grow. And what you're going to hear from me over and over again in the coming months is that we desire to be a place to belong and a place to grow. Wherever that looks like for you. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you that you don't give up on us. That even in our greatest failures, that you are still at work and you are still calling and drawing us. God, I pray that those that are in this room, if they are stuck, I pray that you would speak to them very clearly. That they would be able to see the things that need to be addressed. That they would have a heart to worship. That they would commit to an everyday process of the habit of reading Scripture and prayer, and then obeying in restful obedience each time they hear you tell them something. I pray that in those moments, they will feel joy and celebration that you are pleased with what they are doing, that they can know that every act of obedience returns a reward with you. That reward may be something we see in this world, and it may be something we see in the next but you reward obedience. So help us to see and help us to follow and help us to experience the great dreams that you have for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.